And we're going to open God's Word and read from it now, um, from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. Some of the words will be on the screen. Um, I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, to grab it, open it, and read along with me uh, as well as we go through this morning. So Acts chapter 11, verse 19. This is God's word. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Amen. Um, so we'll break into the story in Acts chapter 11. What's going on? What's happening? Uh, just for a bit of context, a few chapters earlier, the church had been persecuted and the disciples had been scattered as a result. Um, but this, these events actually helped to spread the word of God to new places. And as we join the story in Acts chapter 11, we discover that it had reached as far, as far places as far away as Cyprus and Antioch. However, while the gospel had been spreading to new places, it hadn't always fully reached to everyone in those areas. And so Barnabas and Paul went to Antioch to teach the believers more about the truth of God and the kingdom of God to help them better understand so they could better reach out. And recently I've been teaching Noah, our eldest son, to play drafts. He's a bit like his dad and he's pretty competitive and he doesn't like losing. So just to encourage him from time to time, I deliberately move my pieces into a position that it can be taken and then he, you know, his, the joy in his face as he gets to jump over it and take it and capture it. But if I'm honest, in my more competitive moments and less kind moments, I make it appear to Noah that I'm giving him one of my pieces and he jumps over it, only for me to take two of his back. And uh, I'm kind of using it as a learning opportunity for him. Um, but the shock and horror in his face is kind of priceless as that happens. But you see, in a game of drafts, sometimes you need to give something away to move forward. What appears to be a loss can often be turned into a victory. And this is a constant theme throughout the story of the Bible. What appears to be loss actually can turn into victory. So Abraham is asked to sacrifice his one and only son, and yet he becomes the father of the nations. Joseph is thrown into both a pit and a prison, and he ends up leading in a palace. Gideon downsizes his army, and yet that small little army still overcomes the might of Midian. David has to remove his armor, and yet he is still able 
to defeat Goliath and the sting of Good Friday is trumped by the triumph of Resurrection Sunday. You see, what appears to be lost, God can turn into victory. And as we read the story of Acts, we see the early church suffer significant disruption and loss. Hounded by the authorities to stop speaking publicly about Jesus, having some of their key leaders removed from them, some in prison, some displaced. The actions of Peter being heavily criticized for those that he chose to associate with and the death of one of their key leaders, Stephen, in Acts 7, and then the spreading and the persecution and scattering of the church in Acts 8. Disruption, loss, opposition, persecution, death, scattering. How on earth could the church recover after such a dark time? Now, not all of the circumstances of the early church can be directly mapped across to our circumstances today, but I'm pretty sure we as a church can empathize with some of those things. We can empathize with being told by the authorities to stop worshiping publicly. We can empathize with the removal or loss of some key leaders, the disruption to our normal patterns of life. And my question, how could the church recover after such disruption? There's been so much loss and disruption over the past 18 months. We've all felt stalled and stuck at times. And even in the church, it's maybe felt like one step forward and two steps back. And we've experienced loss and shock and horror in all sorts of ways. And I think our experiences over the last year haven't just disrupted our lives, but they've got to have impacted our faith in some way. And I wonder if this time has revealed three different types of people. I'm sharing this with some of the young adults recently um, when they gathered a couple of weeks ago. I think perhaps it's exposed those who were part of the church but maybe didn't really carry faith. So those who belonged to the church out of tradition or habit but never really knew or followed Jesus for themselves. And, and many of those people have maybe simply replaced that activity with some other things in life. I think it's also exposed people whose faith was maybe stuck or shallow. So faith is still very much present, but it has struggled. And maybe those who have relied on programs or events or experiences or organizations or gatherings for spiritual nourishment, and suddenly with no church and no activities and no organizations and no special events, maybe, maybe some of us have found ourselves in a spiritual wilderness and felt disconnected from God. I wonder if that describes you today. And I think it's also highlighted a committed core those who want to be part of the church and who have turned and have found a way to stay connected and continue to serve and keep being involved no matter what. Perhaps that's many of you here today making intentional choices to be with us. But in all the disruption and all the loss, what if, what if that which has been a loss in your life, God could use to turn into a victory in your faith. Because in the story of God, sacrifice and loss are often the doorway to moving forward in faith. Ricky Malone shared a quote from C.S. Lewis on his Instagram last night, and it said this, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. 
What if the circumstances you have walked through have actually created the conditions for faith to be strengthened and resilience to develop in your discipleship? Because even after a time of disruption and loss, maybe you realize more than ever that you have been held by a God who loves you. Or perhaps you've learned more about relying on God than you ever have before. Or perhaps you have found that when so much has been stripped away, that church attendance and engagement is still a priority for you. And perhaps you've maybe made space or been given space to familiarize yourself and prioritize spiritual disciplines in your life like Bible reading and prayer. You see, the different circumstances we walk through actually create the very conditions for us to be strengthened in our faith if we allow it. Because what appears to be loss, God can turn into victory. And this was true for the early church. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we read that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see, what was intended to hurt the church was made, God turned it and made it work for its good. Or in the words of Matthew Henry, he writes, the enemy's designed to scatter and lose them. Christ designed to scatter and use them. You see, the same strategy that was designed to destroy the church became the very strategy that God used to spread the gospel. It's amazing. And as we pick up this story this morning, a few chapters later in Acts 11, we see that the scattering of believers had gone to places as far flung as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And that seems a really positive story on the face of it. But as we break into this passage, we see that there was actually a limit being placed by the believers on who heard the good news of Jesus. And so in verse 20, we read that they were spreading the word only among Jews. So so here we have some people who were committed to serving God, but they hadn't fully grasped the gospel story for themselves in all its fullness. And this wasn't God's intention because Jesus had commissioned his followers, remember, to make disciples of all nations and not just one or some. And so this vital task was being limited. Their vision was restricted their work was being limited by themselves. And it showed how little these disciples actually really grasped of the kingdom of God. They'd received God's grace for themselves, but were only sharing it with people who were like them. They were allowing their prejudices to get in the way of people hearing about Jesus. And you know, it's so important that we don't allow or place limits on what God can do through our lives and and as a church, that we don't build up our own defense systems in our own lives or create walls around the church that, create, that keep people away. But in our lives, we need to not let our own assumptions, misconceptions, or fears get in the way of us actually sharing our faith with the people around us. We need to be all in. And so the way that the early church got around this error, how did they solve this problem or situation? that was limiting the spread of the gospel, well, they chose to send some leaders to Antioch who could model something different. And they they began to teach the truth to these believers. And we read this in verses 20 and 21, that some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. So leaders were breaking, were, were, um, breaking new ground, 
And they told them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. But the key to the church moving forward in this scenario was effective teaching. It was taking time to properly equip and teach the Christians here that would unlock fresh mission. And that's why what we do here on Sundays matters. That's one of the reasons it's so important for us to place ourselves in this place, in this position on Sundays, under the authority of God's word, to help us all become better instructed and equipped to understand God's truth for ourselves, yes, but also in a way that would enable us to share it with others. If you want to be all in, then don't miss the importance of teaching. And as part of our all-in strategy that Steph was referring to earlier, we developed a set of values that we, I guess, described as our DNA. Basically, a set of guiding values and principles that we want to be at the very core of who we are, both as individuals and collectively as well. And we believe that stepping more fully into those values will impact the type of church we become and shape our effectiveness in sharing the gospel. And the first three of these values are being Christ-centered, spirit-dependent, and Bible-based. In other words, by fixing our attention on the right things and basing our values in the teaching of Scripture, then what will flow out of us will be love for each other, a heart of compassion, raising the next generation. But the question is, are we getting our foundations right? And I'm not just talking about as a church collectively, but what about you individually? Because like these believers in Acts 11, we could be directly involved in telling others about Jesus and leading within the church, and yet we might not have fully grasped or be walking in the fullness of the gospel story for ourselves. So take time to immerse yourself fully in the story of God. It's vital that you go deeper in the teachings of the Bible for yourself, not just relying on being spoon-fed once a week by someone who stands at the front, but actually enabling you to invest in this in your own life. And so for the rest of the time, my time this morning, I just want to pick out three elements of this story that might help shed some light on the key th three key strands of our all-in strategy. So firstly, I want you to notice how they went deeper as disciples. Because verse 26 tells us that for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So here are two believers who commit one year of their life to going deeper in God's word and discipling others. It's an incredible commitment, but one that would have impact. You see, they understood the need to go deeper, both themselves and in how they led with others. And they invested significant portions of their time in order to do so. You know, I feel it's important to say this morning that we shouldn't underestimate the battle for our minds. There's a battle over our minds. Our culture is not neutral. It wants to shape our worldviews and, and form our minds in its particular image. And so we need, as a result, to prioritize teaching and formation as a church. And we need to invest in God's word and discipleship as individuals. And I'm struck by this idea of Paul and Barnabas investing a year of their lives. 
They invested a year, and you know, as, as I read that, I thought to myself, how could, how could I, how could we give the next year of our life over to God more fully? You know, what, what could it do for your faith to invest a year in more intentional study of God's word? What could it do for your life to devote a year to going deeper in prayer or to meet with an older Christian to learn from them over the next 12 months? It would have impact. And you see, it was this foundation that Saul and Barnabas provided for the church in Antioch that helped it to play such a significant role in the rest of the story of Acts. You see, this was the first place that the believers were first called Christians. And it became a model congregation in the early days of the new Christian church. With its mixture of Jews and Gentiles, the church at Antioch was fertile ground for the growth and spread of Christianity. In other words, the church at Antioch became the launching site for several missionary journeys that followed. But where did it all begin? Gathered around the feet of teachers like Barnabas and Saul who led them deeper into God's word who helped them understand key truths and who modeled what effective witness looked like. You know, our heart is that this church would equip every single person who comes into its orbit to go deeper as disciples. We desire to see each person push beyond the surface and grow deeper in their faith. We're not just interested in people who come in the door and think, and what can you do for us as a church? We want to think, how can we as a church equip you for what you do out there? That's a difference, it's a shift. We want the things we do to contribute to your spiritual formation in a world that seeks to influence and shape you in its image. We don't just want a church with a thousand members. We want a church with a thousand disciples. And so we're putting a fresh emphasis on prayer. We're considering how our youth and children's ministry really develops and shapes young disciples and we're placing an emphasis on the value of our discipleship communities that offers everyone in this church a smaller environment to grow in their faith. So that's what we might do as a church, but you know what? It requires people like you and me to step into those things. And we do all this because we understand the significance, like the church in Antioch, of being grounded our feet in our faith in such a way that becomes a launching pad for mission. Acts 11 says of Barnabas that he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And I read that and thought, what a description. You know, how would you like to be described if someone was talking about you? You know, how would you like to be described? That would be an amazing description, isn't it? Wouldn't it? Him or her, full of the Holy Spirit. What do you want to be when you grow up? That's what we ask people, isn't it? Younger people sometimes. I still am trying to work that out for myself. But what do, you, what, do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So let's put ourselves at Jesus' feet and take up the responsibilities to go deeper. Or the opportunity, sorry, to go deeper. But secondly, this morning, I want you to note that they did this all together in partnership. So it brought them closer as a spiritual family. So we learn that Barnabas goes, you know, doesn't go alone, but he brings Saul with him. 
It says, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. See, Barnabas didn't want to do this alone, and he brings someone with him. And in fact, throughout this passage, and indeed the book of Acts, so many times we see disciples serving together. They weren't lone rangers. There was, in fact, throughout the story of Acts, there's so many times it's the phrase or the words used, they, or us, or we. There's not so much I and me. It's so significant we see this when it comes to how we carry our faith and how we belong to the church too. Because Christianity is not a solo sport. It's not a solo sport. You know, the sport that I'm most passionate about is running. I spend loads of, you know, significant amounts of time running, but people think it's a solo sport. It's just a sport you do on your own, but it's not. Because whenever you run, whenever I run in a group of people, I run further and I run faster. And I have learned and discovered so much. If I've learned anything over the last year, it's that I can't do this on my own. I need other people. Belonging to the church isn't like having membership to a social club. It's called, it calls us to function as a family. And in a book that I read recently called Faith for Exiles, this little phrase stuck out to me. Solo discipleship may as well be an oxymoron because if you can do it on your own, it probably isn't church. To disciple effectively, we have to confront the myth of the lone wolf, do-it-yourself discipleship. As someone who is not good, let's just say, at DIY tasks, this is good news to me. There's no such thing as a DIY faith. And after a year of being forced to isolate and keep our distance, Don't settle for church on YouTube or DIY discipleship because if this year has taught me anything, it's that I need to walk with others. And we want to be a church that feels like a family. And that's hard because of our size. But we want a place where everyone has the opportunity, maybe not to know everyone, it's maybe unrealistic, but at least get connected to others and share their lives in closer community. We want to pray together and eat together when we're allowed and meet together, not just see each other now and again. We want this place to be a a place where people feel free to drop the masks in the non-COVID sense and share their burdens with others. But for that to happen, it's going to take us to step in. And that means noticing a newcomer who's sitting near you or asking someone, how are you doing? And really listening Maybe it's praying for people or following up with them afterwards or it's inviting someone on the fringes to your discipleship community or maybe sharing a word of encouragement to someone. You are not in church. You are the church. So just like Barnabas with Saul, let's do things together. And finally this morning, I want you to notice how they went on to reach wider in witness. You see, we see the fruit of their faith as... The passage tells us that they speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You see, there was an impact to their faith. It didn't remain as a cozy club or a holy huddle, but they reached wider and impacted many. And actually the rest of the book of Acts is this story, isn't it? You know, as actually from Acts 11 onwards, most of the rest of Acts is actually located outside Jerusalem where most of the story has been so far. 
God takes Paul on a dramatic journey through, from his conversion on the road to Damascus and Syria, but ultimately moving through modern-day Greece and then the whole of the Roman Empire. The book of Acts is the unfolding mission of God. It's the unfolding story of God's mission. And don't miss the significance of that for your faith. You see, because the things that God does in you, it's not just for you. The things that God does in you, he wants to do through you. Because when we encounter God in the sanctuary, it's actually to empower us to live for him in society because going deeper is actually about provoking us wider in witness. And so as a church, we want to reach beyond the boundaries of those who sit in our building and share the good news with people in our community, in our city and beyond through our words and our actions. And at times we will do things that, you know, under the name of our church, and organize things like alpha courses and cap programs and job clubs and food banks and uniform ministry. I don't know why I'm saying those in the plural. We have one food bank, okay. But um, maybe to see lots and lots of opportunity uh, for us to reach wider. But those are the things that will be organized by the church. But there are so many opportunities as well that involve how we each live our lives in the ordinary moments and the everyday places we find ourselves, at work or at university, among friends and in the community. And like the church in Antioch, we want every Sunday to be a launching pad for literally hundreds of missionary journeys. You know, what missionary journey could God be calling you on? We want this to be a launch pad for that. So will you be part of that vision? Will you help us to reach wider? Maybe simply through how you live your life and carry your faith as you do your job or run your business or parent your kids or live among your neighbors. And will you do those things in a way that causes people to ask questions of the Christians at Carmoney in the same way they inquired of the Christians at Antioch? Um, I'm done, but just as I finish, I've been listening to, recently to the High Performance Podcast by Jake Humphreys. I don't know if you've come across that, but uh, it's where he interviews a whole series of people who've been successful in the worlds of sport or business or media, and, um, and, and he provides some really good insights into some of their lives and, and, and how they've had an impact. But in one particular interview recently, as I was driving along in my car, one line caught me, and where Jake was talking about with his guest about, it was really teasing out what had helped them to become successful, I guess. And he used this line, he says, what you're talking about is, it's the importance of being all in. And I smiled to myself because I realized that the same phrase that he was using was what we have used to describe the journey we want to go on as a church. The journey of being all in on our faith, the invitation to be all in as part of our church family and the call to be all in and how we carry our faith in all of our lives. And so all around you this morning are women and men who desire that and who want to play their part, to play their part in investing in one another and deepening their faith and in sharing that with others. And so just wanna ask you, how will you respond to that invitation? 
and to help you do that, maybe as the band come back and lead us to close our service, I want to invite you to consider that this morning by referring you to the last page of the booklet that should be in your pews. And this was a page of the booklet that we wanted to uh, draw your attention to on the 22nd of March, 2020, but we never got that opportunity to do that together for some reason. And so we thought this might be a good moment to refresh you in it. Because in that last page, there's an invitation for you to write your name and more importantly, to chart your response to this invitation of being all in, to to consider and reflect the part that you could play in this. And so as the band play, we're going to give you a song of reflection before we sing our closing song this morning. And so just during that song, I want to give you a couple of minutes of space for you to reflect on that question, the part that you can play in this vision, seeing it become a reality. If you have a pen, (coughs) fill it out as we reflect. If you don't have a pen, don't worry about it. Just reflect and think about it and maybe fill it in later. But consider the question, take the book at home and write on it later. I came back to my pew earlier at 9.30 and Micah, our youngest son, had been sitting there and he scribbled all over one of the all-in booklets with with a pen and that had kept him amused during my sermon. Um, Maybe some of you have been doing the same this morning, I don't know. But I kind of loved seeing it because I thought, here's a three-year-old who's taking and making his mark and it looks messy and it's not very coherent and yet he was making his response in some ways. We're all given that invitation this morning, no matter your age or stage, no matter who you are, to consider that. So why don't you reflect on that during this song and then we'll close our service together.